Well, um, I don't really care to preach about politics, and I know that none of you came here this morning hoping I would, um, but this is Palm Sunday. It is, it is, a, it is a, a time in the church when we remember the way Jesus rode into town on a donkey and the crowds uh, cheered him on, shouting Hosanna, and they threw branches, uh, uh, leafy branches on the road and spread their cloaks in front of him. Uh, Palm Sunday is all about the intersection of faith and politics. It's the time we remember when sincere people of faith mixed politics with religion and got it completely wrong. I don't know about you, but my guess is you can relate to them. I know I can. There's all kinds of ways that I get my politics and my faith mixed together. And if you're fortunate enough that that's not the case for yourself, then let me suggest you check your Facebook tweet, uh, your Facebook, your Facebook feed, or your Twitter feed for that matter. Check your Facebook feed. You'll find that you have friends who have, who have no trouble at all mixing their politics and their, their religion. They're the people who post the little things up on their Facebook feed and you wish there was a dislike and instead there's only a like. You know who I'm talking about. There's people who have politics and faith so combined and yet at the same time they seem to have completely different politics from what you would expect their faith to require. I get emails all the time, people telling me about the way that America needs to uh, put religion first. We need to become uh, a Judeo-Christian society. We turn to our roots. We need to become a moral nation. We need to reset our moral compass. People send me these emails. They're always forwarded, and they always ask me to forward them further. And then I get emails from my denominational office talking about all kinds of political matters. And I say to myself, What's the difference? The only way I can tell who sent what is by checking the header. Is this from the denominational lobbying office? Or is it just from somebody who's a member of the congregation passing on something that they had? I put together a list of the things I'd seen recently um, passed through my mailbox. I've gotten emails on standardized testing, on marriage equality, on abortion, domestic violence, immigration, care of creation, capital punishment, Palestine, human trafficking, war, marijuana legalization, health care, and on and on. These are things that we care about. And if we are people of faith, we care about how these things relate to our faith. Now, in that way, we are just like the people in our scripture. In our lesson today, they had different issues. They weren't concerned about exactly the same matters that we are today. But really, the politics that they were concerned about weren't all that complicated. They were a Roman-occupied country, and that made their politics pretty simple. They hated the Romans and wanted them gone. The the Romans were notorious for the heavy hand with which they administered their their, um, uh, occupied provinces. There was a Roman emperor whose slogan was, let them hate so long as they fear. We, we heard in our, in our passage today, Jesus told his disciples, ask for the colt, and if anyone asks you what, what the, um, what you're doing, tell them the Lord needs it, and will return it soon. Because the Romans could requisition anything, 
And they didn't always return it. And when they did, they didn't necessarily return it soon. The Romans could compel your service. The passage we were looking at last week, we stopped in in the middle of chapter 5 of Matthew's uh, gospel. But if you go back and look just past the place where we were, Jesus talks about how if somebody compels you to go one mile, you go the second mile. The somebody he's talking about is a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier could just spot you on the street and say, carry my things a mile. And Jesus said, well, if they do, go the second mile. Uh, later on this week, we're going to read during the Passion account how when Jesus could no longer carry his cross, they, the Romans, seized Simon of Cyrene. He was just a passerby coming in from the country to the city that day. They seized Simon of Cyrene and they said, you carry his cross. Why? Did Simon do anything? No, he was just there. And that's the way the Romans worked. They could compel service. And of course, we're, we're familiar from the scriptures about their crushing taxes that they levied on all their provinces and were administered through a system of corrupt tax collectors. So the Romans were not liked. That was the politics for the people in the audience that day. And their faith was pretty simple too. Their faith was, God doesn't like the Romans either. And they had reasons that they believed God didn't like the Romans. Uh, famously, about a hundred years before the time of Jesus, the Roman general uh, Pompey came to Jerusalem and he, uh, uh, he besieged the city until it finally was captured. He killed about 12,000 people doing it. And then he went into the temple and he profaned the temple by offering a sacrifice of a pig in the altar, on the altar in the Holy of Holies. He went into the, the sanctuary where Gentiles were not allowed. He went into the area where only the high priest could go only one time a year, and he sacrificed an unclean animal on it. That's how the, the Jews first were introduced to Roman occupation. And it didn't get any better. They knew that God didn't like the Romans either. They had idols. They had coins. The, the coin of the realm had a, had a stamp on it with a picture of the current Caesar, and next to it, it said, the divine Augustus. They knew God didn't like the graven images that the Romans had brought in. They they had imperial standards in the temple precincts, which is a pole with a flag, and on the top, an eagle. They didn't like the graven images, and they knew God didn't like the graven images either. So their faith and their politics intersected, and when Jesus came into town, they said, Hosanna, finally, God has sent us a Messiah. God has sent someone who will kick these Romans out, who will establish a good government that is honest and just and brings back good old Judeo-Judeo values. Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. So they're just like us, and really, all the time, we're just like them. I don't think any of us are expecting Jesus to ride into Juneau or Washington, D.C. on a donkey, or probably an elephant either. But we expect God to inform our politics. What we expect, I think, oftentimes is something like Jehu. We don't expect Jesus But we do expect Jehu. Jehu was a general in the Old Testament. He was a general who staged a coup against the the reigning king. And what had happened was Jehu 
was anointed by the prophet Elisha. Elisha sent one of his associates, said, said, um, anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And then he said, you better get out of Dodge after that because Jehu is no David. See, a couple of hundred years before, uh, Elisha's uh, predecessor, um, Nathan, had, had um, anointed David to be king because God didn't like the current king. The current king was Saul. David was, was anointed to be his replacement. And David waited for God to cause him to become king. And eventually Saul became convinced that David was going to replace him and he said, I'm going to kill David. But David never killed Saul. And Elisha said to his, his associate, he said, you better get out of Dodge because Jehu is no David. And Jehu wasn't. He went straight to Jerusalem. He got in his chariot. He got, he went straight to Jerusalem, killing along the way. He killed the king. He killed the king of the neighboring country. When he got to Jerusalem, he threw the queen mother out of a window. Jehu was a bad man. He was no David. Jehu was the perfect intersection of faith and politics. And my guess is when those generals spread their cloaks in front of him, when they said, finally, God has decided to put an end to the reign of Joram, they probably said things like, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Jesus' conspiracy wasn't like Jehu's conspiracy. Jesus' conspiracy was a divine conspiracy. Jehu's conspiracy was the conspiracy of a worldly man to take over a worldly kingdom. But Jesus was different. Jesus rode into town. He heard the same cheers. He had the same palm branches. He had the same cloaks in the road. But when Jesus got to town, he did it on a donkey, not with a war chariot. When Jesus got to town, he didn't start killing people. He didn't proclaim himself king. Jesus went to the temples and spent three or four days teaching in the temple precincts. And then Thursday night, Jesus got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet and he gave them a new commandment. He said, by this people will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Jesus said, love one another. The only crown Jesus got that week was the one that was thrust on his head, the crown of thorns on Friday when he was nailed to a cross. The kingdom of Jesus is nothing like the kingdom of Jehu. So, what do we do with this? Should should Christians allow their faith to inform their politics? Should our politics inform our faith? Yes, of course it should. And, and not only should Christians be a positive force in society, but Jesus told us there was going to be a test. He said, someday the great king is the one you will stand before, and he will say, when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. Jesus told us there will be a test. Christians are expected to make a difference in society. But Jesus didn't say, I'm going to ask you who you voted for. He's not going to say, what links did you like on Facebook? He said, I will ask you why you didn't feed me. Because what you did to the least of these, you did to me. 
the um, the uh, uh, the um, the past week we went over to the uh, town hall. I don't know how many of you were able to get over there. The town hall. We had two representatives and a senator telling us basically the bad news that the gravy train has. I don't know, not left, is not leaving the station this year or something. So, so they're talking about the way that the, the budget problems in Alaska, uh, probably the only people in the world rooting for trouble in the Middle East are Alaskan legislators, um, because, because we need a higher price of oil for things to work out for us. And I was talking to one of them, and, and they were telling me that they were hoping that the, the nonprofit sector would step up to the, to the challenges of helping to address some of the problems that are going to result from our budget shortfalls. And I thought, well, that's where we've done our best work. About 1,500 years ago, 16, almost 1,700 years ago, there was a Roman emperor. When, when, when Christianity was a persecuted religion, and nobody asked us how we voted, because nobody voted, the Roman emperor, Julian, said, said this. He said, it is disgraceful that um, when no Jew ha- ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people, the, the Romans, the pagans, they lack aid from us. That's the Emperor Julian who died in 363. Because see, the Christians were making a difference without ever once heading to the ballot box, without ever once liking somebody's posting on Facebook. They made a difference when they were still a persecuted minority. Philip Yancey, Yancey published a book. Many of you have seen some of his books before. He published a book this year called Vanishing Grace. And in it, he has, he has this interesting quote from a, a Muslim. Um, it goes like this. Several years ago, a Muslim man said to me, I have read the entire Quran and can find in it no guidance on how Muslims should live as a minority in a society. I have read the entire New Testament and can find in it no guidance on how Christians should live as a majority. He goes on to say, Islam seeks to unify religion and law, culture and politics. Courts enforce religious Sharia law, and in nations like Iran, the religious authorities, the mullahs, not the politicians, have all the real authority. But over time, over centuries of painful mistakes, sometimes bloody mistakes, Christians have actually learned to do something different. Christians have learned to return to their roots. During the Cold War, Billy Graham, who knew what the Oval Office looked like from the inside, made a trip to the Soviet Union. And when he was there, he did not simply meet with church leaders. He met with political leaders. And when he got back, people said, we're at war with that country. How could you possibly do that? Dr. Graham, you have set Christianity back 50 years. And Billy Graham said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was trying to set Christianity back 2,000 years. When, when, when Christians have governed as a majority, we have, we have typically failed. Our, our greatest successes were during, during the times when we have been when we have been a persecuted minority. And when you look at what is the greatest social cause that Christians have achieved by imposing Christian values on an unwilling world, it was probably prohibition. 
which was a disaster. It, it actually strengthened uh, organized crime, and we're still dealing with the problems of it today. Christians need to be very careful imposing their rule on the world as a majority, as the Muslim was smart enough to notice. You know, Christians who a couple of generations ago passed laws against homosexual behavior are the ones who today are complaining about how they have to bake cakes for lesbians. Christians need to be very careful about how we allow our faith to inform our politics. Jesus told us there's going to be a test. We're expected to make a difference. And this is a great time in our state's history for us to really step up and begin making a difference in a way maybe we haven't so much during the time of the gravy train. But either way, we need to be careful. We need to be careful how we do it. We need to follow the example of Jesus who emptied himself and took on the form of a slave and was obedient unto death, not the example of Jehu who fought a bloody coup and was legendary for a hundred years as a man of violence. Our model is not Jehu. Our model is Jesus. And may Christians always look to Jesus and his example and look on Palm Sunday to the one who could have come into town, could have claimed the kingship, but instead chose to be a slave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the example of the example of Jesus. Lord, it is so hard to to trust you to do to do little or to do something that seems pointless when there are big problems. Help us not though to look to Jehu to say the sword is the solution. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to make a difference as Christians always have, but help us to do so by following the way of the cross. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.